Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Uh, tonight, you know, it's that time of the month again where we talk to Columbus, Ohio, through State Representative Dave Greenspan. Dave, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, Nick, I appreciate it being on. And this, as we're getting into fall, it, the, the weather's just becoming more and more beautiful. and The, the, the leaves are turning. It's, it's a great time of year. Yeah, we should be doing everything outside right about now. But, That's right. Uh, but down in Columbus, what's happening down there since we talked last? Yeah, so so we've we've resumed ser- uh, session and committee work is moving moving very well. Um, last week, uh, not this past week, but the week before, I actually had five bills move through through various stages of the process. One, we actually voted uh, over to the Senate unanimously. It was the Ohio checkbook. Um, I think we talked about that uh, at the last month or the month before. Well, we've now passed it over to the Senate, and um, we actually start having hearings in the Senate uh, as, as early as this coming week. So we're encouraged by that bill. And once again, that bill merely puts a mandate upon the treasurer to continue the process that Treasurer Mandel started of the Ohio checkbook, which displays in a public format, a consistent comparable format, the expenditures of political subdivisions throughout the state. Uh, as of last week, when I gave my sponsor testimony on the floor, there were 1,152 political subdivisions that are participating in the program. And it's, to me, it's a very good transparency piece of legislation, and we want to continue that. And Treasurer Sprague is in agreement, and so we are now moving forward, and I'm hoping that it will move quickly through the Senate, and we'll be able to have the governor sign it and, and continue this great transparency feature that we have here in Ohio. It, it seems that since we've been doing that, uh, since the Treasurer's office first started with that uh, checkbook, uh, it's, it just seems the news has been absent of uh, suspicious accusations of misspending of funds since uh, all the expenditures are there for everyone to take a look at. Correct. And, you know, the original concern, uh, concern with that was, well, if we put all these up there, then everybody's going to see what we're doing and they're going to raise a whole bunch of red flags or questions about possible expenditure issues. They should. And to your point, <laughs> it's done. it's done the opposite. I think people having the access to that has squelched the questions because people are satisfied with what they're seeing. Um, or if they do have an issue, the information's right there for them to, to have at their fingertips to analyze and ask questions. So it's a great it's a great feature. Well, well it is. Feature. And uh, I, I think it just adds, anytime you add transparency to something so that people, the, the ball falls into their court, if, if they suspect something, everything is right there for them without asking to uh, dig into it. And, and hopefully if there is anything bad, People will find it and we'll hear about it and get it corrected quickly. Correct. Uh, so anyway, well, that's that's good to hear on that one. What else is cooking? Well, I, I you know, we've been talking for a long time about legalizing sports betting in Ohio, and that bill is moving uh, through, moving very nicely through the House. Uh, it's in it's in finance, which is where it's been. We resumed hearings uh, over the last uh, last few weeks, and uh, we had our sixth fifth and sixth hearings this week and, and this coming week we're going to have our seventh hearing uh the big the big topic in the debate right now is the utilization of league data to certify um the bets and what what the leagues are asking us to do when these are all the professional sports leagues what they're asking us to do is put a mandate in the bill that would require the sports books by law to use their data and if we don't if if the, if the sports books don't use their data then they then sports betting is prohibited in Ohio. The challenge with that is, is the concern that, that the committee is, is and, and members I've talked to feel about that specific issue is we are effectively creating a monopoly to which we would be requ- requiring in order for the sports wager to be offered in Ohio, uh, an activity that's already happening in the open marketplace. And in the coming week, we're going to hear testimony from MGM and from some of the other, other sports books that are saying you don't need to legalize and mandate this we are already doing it and by mandating it you are effectively creating a monopolistic uh, environment what the legal say is is yes we create the data and we compile the data but we use licensees to distribute the data hence a competitive marketplace but at the end of the day there is one source of data one source of the data management and control and right now there are 19 states that offer sports wagering in the united states 
only one has it as a mandate, that's Tennessee. Illinois has it as a may, and it's to be created by rule. Uh, the other the other 17 states are not requiring the use of leaked data, and uh, the sports books want to have the most accurate data. They know their consumers are going to require it, demand it. And being a free market guy, the free market will drive the the uh, use of leaked data. And our bill does not include any stipulations for the use of leaked data. So we will continue to monitor it. That seems to be the biggest. Um, and actually, to be honest with you, in thinking about it, I think it's the only they're the only opponents that have stepped forward on the bill. Uh, and I believe because they understand that they're in a position where they stand to um, to control the data and be in a position to create a, a monopoly. So I don't think from discussions with members that it's going to deter anyone from supporting the bill. And I'm hoping that we will be able to move it out by the time we speak next, next month, that the bill will be in the Senate. Well, when we look at uh, the, the pushbacks coming from the sports leagues themselves, <clears throat> and what what is the monetary benefit that the sports leagues get by by controlling the league data? Well, because they're the ones who would because what they're asking for is that the the sports books use the data, but that they pay the leagues to obtain the data. And if they're in a monopolistic environment or oligopic environment, they effectively control the market price for their data. And you know, if Tennessee, as an example, is using is requiring leaked data, well, that book, let's say MGM, as an example, or, or or William Hill, whomever the book may be, is already using leaked data for their data, you know, for, for for the confirmation of their of their sports betting. So, with that being said, the data is already being supported by another state's actions. Mm-hmm. Plus, the books are telling us they're already engaging in these types of contracts where they can. So I, I, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't believe it's, it's, I, I believe obviously integrity of sports betting is critical. Not, our bill has some integrity features that other states don't have, but the requiring of one body to purchase information from another body uh, just is not something that I am comfortable with putting into the bill. No, because I, I, we have a couple of different casino companies in the state, and uh, it, it sounds like if they're doing sports, are they doing sports betting now here in Ohio at the no, casinos? No, it's, 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 it's in illegal. Other states. They're doing it in other states. Yeah, you mentioned 19 Some other states that are out there. Yeah, yeah. When but, we started this, there were 11. Mm-hmm. Now there are 19. Um, our neighboring states are doing it except for Michigan and, and uh, Kentucky. Uh, Michigan, the former governor uh, vetoed the bill, and the current governor has committed to support it, from what I'm hearing. So they may beat us to legalizing sports gaming. So we're trying, we're working hard not to do it in such a way as just to do it to beat someone to the to the uh, to the marketplace. But we're doing it because we believe it's the right thing to do now that the Supreme Court has legalized it to pull it out of the shadows, make it a legal activity in the state, and provide consumer protections around it. So I believe we'll get there. Um, I'd like to think we're going to get there sooner than later, and I think we'll be able to move it out of the House very quickly. And, and again, what kind of revenue are we anticipating being added to the Ohio Treasury uh, based upon and, this? Yeah, and the funding would go, the, fun, the funds derived from this will go towards uh, education in Ohio. And we're looking at anywhere between initially $10 million a year all the way up to $100 million as it becomes more um, – more seasoned as the environment becomes more seasoned in Ohio. Well, that, that's significant uh, to fund different programs. Um, other things going on, any other um, bills that uh, you, you'd want to mention? Sure. Well, you know, we, we last General Assembly, Representative Barnes and I uh, worked on a bill to focus on the reinstatement of driver's licenses for those who have had their licenses suspended but who can't pay their BMV fees. We've talked about this. Uh, on previous shows, the pilot program ended July 31st, and we we found out through the data of the 400,000 or so that were eligible at that time, 76,000, so almost 20% took advantage of the program, and that was with a, a modest outreach. You know, it wasn't with a, a robust outreach program. BMV was required to conduct an outreach program. 
and they did a good job in doing what they did. But we realized we weren't able to reach 100% of the population. I'll tell you what we're doing. Well, hold, hold, on with, hold on with that thought. Sure. Uh, we're going to be taking a break here in, in a moment. Uh, but, uh, you know, the BMVPs, I remember one of the statistics you mentioned early on was that uh, we have such a high percentage of people driving without licenses just here in Cuyahoga County that something, had, something had to be done. So uh, yep. I'm, I'm glad something's happening. But we'll come back. Uh, we're talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan, and we're talking about the BMV fees and how that's going to make Ohio a safer place. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate on WHK, The Answer. We'll be right back. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents... Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree. Insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of the advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. AM 1420, the answer. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I, at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate tonight. We're talking to Dave Greenspan, who is updating us on what's going on in Columbus, Ohio, with the state legislature. Dave, as always, thank you so much for joining us and providing us with this important information. Great, great. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. We've been talking about uh, the the BMV fees for reinstatement of licenses and how that's been making things safer. So how is that working out? Yeah, so as I was saying, the, the pilot program expired July 31st. We had roughly 76,000 Ohioans took advantage of it to some degree. And of those, roughly 7,000 actually had full driving privileges restored. Now, the difference between the 76,000 and the 7,000, some had partial um, relief from their BMB fees that were owed, and 7,000 had full relief and are able to, to get full driving privileges uh, reinstated. Recognized the program ended in July, and, and based on the success we were having, we're actually able to have an extension put in the bo- operating budget to continue the program through the end of the year. So right now, starting around October 18th is when the new budget cycle goes into effect. Until December 31st, the program will, will start back up again, and those who are eligible can um, can apply to have their their driving their BMV fees waived if uh, you know if they meet this, the qualifying criteria. So what have we learned from this? What we've learned from it is what's being presented in House Bill 285, which is a program to make this 
to, is, is a bill to make this program permanent. And But it does some things that, that I believe are going to be much more advantageous for those seeking this type of, the, the relief of this bill. What we're going to do, and this is actually at the request of the Department of Public Safety and the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, is they will send out on a monthly basis to those who are in their database who are now eligible for the 18 months. Remember, 18 months have to pass from when they've met all their court-ordered obligations to be eligible for the program. BMV will send out to every eligible individual, letting them know that they have qualified for the program. So right now what's happened is the um, the um, there are various groups, courts, and nonprofit organizations throughout the state have been hosting these seminars to bring people in to have them understand what their rights are under the bill. What 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 BMV and DPS came to us and said, look, we'll send out a letter to everybody and let them know they're eligible. So now there's nothing the individual has to do. The information is being sent to them, letting them know that they're eligible. They will now have three ways in which they can submit the request for relief of the program. They can reply online and they'll be given a login information as to how they can do that. Uh, they can return via mail uh, their their check and, and the form, uh, or and, and the first two are at no cost to the individual, or for a, an administrative fee of around five dollars, they can go to their their local deputy registrar where they get their driver's license and submit the paperwork there. And what we're hoping is by the fact that BMV is sending out these letters, letting folks know they're qualified for the program, and giving them three options to be able to return their response, uh, we'll be able to help make that 76,000 and, and roughly 20% a much higher number. Uh, so we're very encouraged by that. We're, gonna, we're going to, um, on Tuesday, be substituting the bill uh, in committee to add these features I just explained and hopefully uh, vote it out of committee on Tuesday as the current plan and send it to the floor and have it go through the Senate. There, is, there, there have been no opponents to the bill. And since the, the House and the Senate have already, uh, and the governor, have already agreed to this program, not only in the last General Assembly, but in the current operating budget, that we believe this bill will move very quickly and help those in our state that, that need relief so that we can get them driving legally, encourage them to participate in the in the employment market. If, that, if not having an active driver's license is one of those things that's prohibiting them from participating, and, and maybe even help drive down our unemployment rate in the state of Ohio by by including those now in the eligible workforce who may be un, have been ineligible because of this pro, this this issue. In, in a dollars and cents way, uh, the old rules required how much money to get a reinstatement, and, and how has that changed now? How has that been reduced? Well, it varies. It varies by offense. A, 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 the lowest offense, I believe, is $15. The highest offense is $650. But keep in mind that that some of that the average suspended driver's license has three offenses on it. So if you have three offenses that are at six hundred and fifty dollars, you're looking at close to two thousand dollars worth of BMV fees and reinstatement fees. Now you've paid all your court ordered costs and you've done your restitution, done everything you need to do there. This is just money that's due to the state. And now I, I will, and, 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 you know, here's part of the argument. In, in the, in the 70, of the 76,000 people that took advantage of it, they owed around $62 million. The state, through either the reduced plan or identifying those that are indigent, will collect and have been collecting about $4 million of the $62 million. The remaining $58 million is effectively has been written off. But keep in mind, that's money the state wasn't going to collect anyhow. Because if these individuals had that money, they would have already paid the state. Remember, 18 months has passed. This isn't like, you know, they lose their license on a Monday and the state's waiving its fees. They, are, they have made multiple attempts to collect. These individuals, for whatever reason, have not been able to, to pay the fees. Hence, they're driving. And most of them are probably still driving with a suspended driver's license without insurance. And so what we're trying to do is get these folks to meet as much of their obligation as they're able to pay and at the same time get them legally driving it in the workforce. The, uh, for someone who would be owing around eighteen, nineteen hundred $1,900 uh, in reinstatement fees for the, for the three offenses they would have, uh, right. what, what price range would that be under the new program for them? 
if, if they're having they're, trouble with money. Yeah, yeah. So, so what they could do is, is they can they could go into a payment plan to pay that off, uh, or they under the plan if they're not indigent, the reduction is 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 um, a percentage significantly less than what they owe, and um, it ranges. It, 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 there's a formula in there. I believe it's ten percent mm. um, or half of what they owe, whichever is less. So um, I see. So there's some so, some savings and some encouragement. And what you you just mentioned in, in your last statement is that uh, when these people get their licenses back, they have to have insurance, proof of insurance, correct. I would imagine. And uh, that, that sort of brings up the number of insured drivers here, just like in Cuyahoga County and in Ohio generally. Yeah, by, so, by the way, let me correct the previous. I just made a statement that they, pay, they would pay one half of what their reinstatement fees are. I said 10% or one half, whichever, right. but it didn't make sense. It, it, they, they would pay half of what they owe, and they could set up a payment plan for that. So I, I apologize. Oh, that's okay. We, we did clear it up. So it's half of what they owe, and that would be, right. uh, be, be payable. Uh, what are we looking for uh, within the next month or two? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're continuing to move forward with a number of initiatives um, out of our office. We, we did introduce and have received significant support for a land uh, providing money for land banks throughout the state and right now we're in a in a data gathering process to understand what the total need is to demolish uh, abandoned and blighted buildings and those that have been foreclosed on tax lien foreclosed on throughout the state um, every community in the state has something you know some folks they don't look at well you know they may say for example in my district in rocky river well we don't have any any blighted and abandoned buildings of any magnitude. You know, we don't have any any old factories or warehouses or commercial buildings. Well, actually, in the last few years, there have been land bank projects in Rocky River. One was a gas station. Every community, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be so definitive, but if you look across the state, almost every community has an abandoned gas station, has a shutdown gas station. Well, the problem is those gas stations are very expensive to remediate and get them back, land back in productive for commercial, residential, or industrial use. So what we're trying and so what we're trying to do with this bill is, is take $100 million, $50 million a year for the next two years and make it available to land banks as matching funds to help them demolish some of these properties uh, throughout the state. And we've got old factories leaching chemicals into the Ohio River that folks are turning right around and drinking. And we've got cancer clusters down in southern Ohio that that exceed national averages, as an example. We've got properties here in Cuyahoga County and, and in my district and in every district that uh, are, are needing of these funds to help us remediate the soil, remediate buildings, get them back in the land back in productive use so that we can cannot have declining property values and we can secure our uh, communities. One of the one of the great challenges that, that especially some of our urban core communities have is the fact that we've got these buildings that are abandoned and they're havens for crime. And we're and there was just a report recently here in Northeast Ohio where four bodies were found in an abandoned building. I, I, I recall that. We're, we're going to have to uh, call it quits here for today, but you know, environmental cleanup is uh, such a costly thing. We'll have to talk about that next time, see how we're, we're progressing. But uh, State Rep. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Great, and we'll talk to you next month. Great, thank you. Very good. Take, uh, take care. And we're going to be back after these words. We'll take a short break. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at Select. 
www.insservice.com. 440-237-8555 or select insservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. How's your back? Every day, thousands of people suffer with unrelenting back pain that takes time from their normal life. Dr. Patrick McCluskey and his staff at the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic provide the helping hands to relieve those nagging pains. Located in North Royalton at Sprague and York Roads, schedule an appointment today with the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic by calling 440-884-0083 for an appointment. That's 440-884-0083. Just imagine being neck and back pain free. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips & Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips & Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Welcome back to Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, Tonight we're talking to Cleveland attorney John McCarty, who's also an attorney here at Phillips & Millie, who specializes in the practice of domestic relations law or family law, as it may be. John, thank you for joining us tonight. Good evening, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, divorce, uh, domestic relations. You know, I remember the statistics used to be that are probably near 50% of the marriages end up in uh, termination somewhere along the way. Is that still a valid number? It, it's close. I, I think the, the later generations have become a little more picky about their spouse, maybe wait a little later in life till they're more established. And it, while the number's still high, it's not quite at 50% these days, but it is still a, a relevant and relevant thing in today's society. Well, one of the biggest problems with uh, dealing with families and divorces are uh, dealing with families that have small children or, or teenagers even. Um, with regard to dealing with those, are, are those still difficult cases? Absolutely. It, in today's modern era, everything's online. Social media is everywhere. Everyone knows everyone's business. So, you know, in the old days when a family got divorced, they could keep it quiet. They can manage it in-house. Nowadays, everything's done in the public, and that has a, a big effect on kids, especially teenage kids um, in school. Friends know everything, online presence being what it is. So it's very tricky. Uh, the, the older the kids get, the more issues obviously arise and the more they're involved in the process, for better or worse. Do you often run into cases where people are getting divorced and they can actually agree on what's to be done with the children after the divorce? Surprisingly, yes. Those are few and far between. Uh, those are usually the the couples or families where the, the emotions <laughs> have gone from the case and they're, they're practical at this point. And I always encourage... Um, my clients never to make a decision when they're angry. Uh, it's kind of like don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Don't bring up issues surrounding your divorce when you're upset. And those those couples who can come together and really focus on how we're going to leave our kids when this is over, when the dust settles, those are the ones that 
that I applaud and usually are more successful and have a better relationship with their children going forward. You know, dealing with um, the children, is there an age where the children actually have a meaningful input into who do they go with, or is everyone sharing parentage now? The traditional age for most courts, especially in the Cleveland area, is around age 14. That's when, I don't want to say the court considers them a person officially, but that's when a, a child has been shown to, their, their input and opinion is, is well-formed enough that the court will take it into consideration. They, they will not let a teenager drive the case or be the bus driver, so to speak, but they'll definitely take their input into account. And um, a lot of times their input is, is dispositive to how the case is going. And a, a 13 or 14 year old whose parents are getting divorced in front of them is usually quite insightful and usually is the most mature party in the case. Hmm. Uh, when uh, young people are faced with, with that decision they have to make, um, do you end up talking to them or do they, how, how do you get through this? Because I'm sure each party many times is lobbying uh, to advance their own side as being the better parent. Absolutely, especially in a divorce with kids, both parents become parent of the year in, in their own opinion. And if I see that occurring, I'll suggest the court appoints what's called a guardian ad litem, and that is an advocate for the child. It's a neutral party that is only there to serve the best interests of the child who reports to the court how they see each family dynamic on mom and dad's side. Oh, who are these uh, guardian ad litems, and uh, how do they get paid? They're, they're usually um, attorneys in the area that are trained in domestic relations and family law. They can also also be licensed social workers, psychologists, other therapists that get put, they apply to be put on a court roster, they do some training, and they are paid hourly just as an attorney would. Now the rate varies between guardian ad litem and individual, but each side pays the guardian's fee, um, half they post a bond with the court, and that guardian then will undertake an investigation, interviewing the parents, interviewing the child. They'll do home visits if they feel it's necessary. And they will also attend every hearing in court and report to the judge or magistrate. Do you often run into situations where the parents are trying to use the children to advance their case or to paint the other parent in a bad light? And maybe sometimes it's justified. Those are always the most unfortunate cases. Um, I, I feel bad for the children whose parents are using them as cannon fodder for the case. And a lot of times they don't think what they're doing is improper, but stray remarks on an impressionable, impressionable teenager go a long way. You know, dad just in passing says, oh, your mom's an idiot. I don't know what she's thinking. That imprints in a child in a negative way. And the courts are set up and most litigants are warned and admonished about that very thing to keep the child out of it as much as possible. So sometimes you'll get the unintentional parent that does those things and, and doesn't mean to. The intent is not there. But a lot of times you will get the parent who manipulates the child and brings way too much of the divorce case home with them. And it, it definitely creates a serious issue for that child going forward. How is it decided um, where the children will actually live, whether they live with the mother or the father? Is it is it always a given, my impression, is maybe the mother has the upper hand in that? You know, traditional norms are all, in, in all things mm -hmm. are tough to break. And you know, past history and culture has been that usually the mother in the family is the primary caregiver um, and father was, you know, out working to provide. In the modern era, you know, we're affected by that as well, and more and more parents and families are dual income, dual parents both out in the workforce. There are a lot of stay-at-home fathers these days, and those are the things we have to navigate. It's not always a default that the mother is the default position at this point. I've had several cases where father was given the primary lion's share of the custody and visitation um, just based on the family dynamic and earning potentials and, and that sort of thing. So you would hope that parties who have decided that they can't be together anymore can separate that idea versus what's best for their child. Well, will the court ever recommend counseling to people to help everyone work through this, or is that something that the individuals uh, need to decide on their own? 
As a general rule, the court won't, when you're at a pretrial or a, or a hearing, they won't suggest, hey, guys, you should take a step back and everyone should go to counseling. What I have seen in, in several cases, especially ones where a guardian ad litem is on board, um, they will suggest it. it. This may be a good thing because of specific issues that are going on. Maybe a 13 or 14-year-old son feels alienated from his dad because dad moved out. Um, and there's some issues there that a 14-year-old isn't equipped to deal with on their own. It's displaced anger, displaced grieving, that sort of thing. And that's beneficial. There's, there are therapists out there that are called reunification therapists, that their focus is to let the child know that it's not their job to pick sides. And that's a big thing. You know, they, a 12-year-old may feel that he's got to side with dad because boys stick together. Or a daughter sticks with mom because dad moved out and is dating someone else. Or vice versa. And these therapists will let the child know that it's okay to be neutral. It's okay to have a relationship with both parents. They're not splitting up because of them. The, the parents are splitting up because the adults can't get together anymore. Are there children you run into who actually see themselves in a position of power and start manipulating both parents? And if so, what do you do with them? Absolutely. The, more so teenagers, um, they'll, they'll use that for, and it's not always the obvious, oh, I want a new Xbox or a new iPhone, but it's I want to live with Dad because Dad lets me stay up late. Dad, you know, has a Netflix account. Um, I don't want to be with mom because she makes me do my homework. So they'll, you know, they'll pick, they'll pick fights. They'll tug at heartstrings when it suits them. And those are really hard to pick out as the practitioner because I don't talk to the children primarily. My job is to represent the individual who has come to me that is my client. And they may not know what's happening when the child's not with them. So... That's why, yes, it's an added expense in the case, but when we're having cases with difficult child issues, guardian ad litems are invaluable because they're the one on the front line talking to the kids, and they're usually pretty good at picking up on, on those cues. You know, we're, we're talking to divorce lawyer John McCarty, uh, one of the lawyers here at Phillips & Millie, talking about children and uh, how do you award custody and uh, all of that. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with John to talk about divorce work and talk about child custody and how to get through that whole situation of divorce and children. So we'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. 
You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. How's your back? Every day, thousands of people suffer with unrelenting back pain that takes time from their normal life. Dr. Patrick McCluskey and his staff at the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic provide the helping hands to relieve those nagging pains. Located in North Royalton at Sprague and York Roads, schedule an appointment today with the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic by calling 440-884-0083 for an appointment. That's 440-884-0083. Just imagine being neck and back pain free children the product of a married couple who were once in love unfortunately sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced this is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults the law firm of phillips and millie offers advice and representation in family law matters remember your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Tonight we're talking about uh, family law, talking about domestic relations, and specifically what do you do about the kids. Uh, with us tonight, we have John McCarty. He's a domestic relations attorney here in Cleveland, works for Phillips and & Millie, and uh, he's been doing this for over 15 years. Is that right, John? That's correct. Well, thank you again for joining us tonight. Uh, we're talking about uh, the, the the pain involved in the emotions when you separate a family and the kids have to make a choice uh, as to where they're going to live with. And the court and the lawyers all run, run into that. Uh, are there many times where these, or if any times, where the mother and father can actually work out the details as far as where will the children live, who's going to pay for the orthodontics for the young teens, and uh, where will they go to school, all of those kinds of issues. Uh, are those worked out generally, or does the court have to jump in? The parties can agree to anything they want, and I strongly encourage it. Uh, whenever I meet with a new client, I I not go so far as to beg them, but I really prod them along to try to come to an agreement outside of court. When parties do that, the agreement is theirs. They can sit down and work out what works best for them and their children and their family going forward. What they run into if they can't come to an agreement is to have someone they've never met before decide how the rest of their life is going to go, and that's a judge or a magistrate at court. And while I'm pretty good at predicting how things will come out. At the end of the day, it is another human being deciding their lives based on evidence that's put before them. So my opinion and what I counsel my clients to do is, if at all possible, work out as much as they can. Uh, We can submit to court. It's called a shared parenting plan. And that can be whatever the parties want it to be that makes sense for them, Uh, whether it's visitation, holidays, days of importance, child support numbers, who pays for extracurriculars, who pays for, as you mentioned, orthodontics, which people don't really consider, but that is, aside from college, and a, and a car, if they want to give their child a car at 16, probably the next biz, biggest expense that people don't anticipate. So I strongly encourage them to do that. There's no statute of limitations on filing a divorce. So absent impatience, there's no reason to rush these things, if at all possible. Well, and that's interesting, talking about statutes of limitations and jurisdiction of the court. Uh, And and I know child support and child custody and and all those issues dealing with children, uh, they're only a small part of all the other issues you might have in a divorce case. Uh, For example, real estate, cars, retirement plans, um, earning capacities of individuals. When all of this stuff is finally put together and buttoned up and the divorce is final, quote-unquote final, and we have all the custody issues with the children resolved, including child support and how that will be paid and how much will be paid. Uh, what what happens next? Because life goes on, things can change. Are, are these things changeable, or 
are you stuck for 18 years with with one fixed thing, even though circumstances might change? What, what's the rule there? The rule is yes and no. Oh, certain, that's certain a lawyer issues. answer. <laughs> You'll never pin me down. No. Um, certain that's issues good. that the court will not retain jurisdiction over, and those mean generally asset issues, um, personal property issues. The court, once you've divided up your personal property, once you've divided up your bank accounts, you've you know put cars in your name, that sort of thing, the court will not retain jurisdiction, meaning they won't hold the case open to you know keep an eye on you, so to speak. They will in other instances, um, retirement accounts. Sometimes those take a while to split up. Sometimes they're not easily identifiable as to what they are, and further work is needed. So the court will, at times, hold open the case or allow you to come back in case their issues arise. Maybe you need a clarification of an order for a certain financial company or product. But the biggest one the court will keep an eye on until the child reaches age of majority is child support, child custody issues, health insurance, those sorts of things. So. People who get divorced who have young children, age three, age one, age six, that child's going to be around hopefully until they reach the age of majority. And you think in your mind 18, but it's till they're completed through high school. Some kids are 19. Um, So the court will keep jurisdiction open for a long time. And that's a long period of life. And what is good for a family when a child is three might not be good for a child, when the child's 13, things could change. Um, think about the average person and how many careers they go through in, in the span of their life. And think back to your own kids or when you were a kid, how many things changed for you from age 3 to age 17. So there is always a chance if things aren't working out the way you thought they would when you first got divorced to go back to court. Now I encourage people to try to work it out themselves first and go back to court simply to memorialize what they've agreed to outside of court. But people are not perfect, the system is not perfect, and disputes will arise at the drop of a hat at times and over the years. So you are able Mm -hmm. to go back to court. I've seen some cases over the years where uh, individuals will work outside of court. Let's say uh, child support payments might be made directly to the other spouse. Uh, yet they run into problems if they're not meeting the order through paying through the court as maybe they're ordered to do. Certainly. Uh, is that is that a problem, or can people just uh, skip the court part and pay make their payments on their own? If there are minor children involved, in Ohio, child support has to be paid through the Child Support Enforcement Agency, um, through the state. That way they can monitor it and keep an accounting of it. So if a dispute arises, there's a paper trail and proof of payment. Now, that's not to say that if a party agrees to pay an amount above and beyond, they can't do that directly. Um, But if if it's not in writing and it's not filed with the court, it may or may not be enforceable and it becomes difficult. My goal in in those, in an instance like that, is to make sure that if a dispute arises, the litigation doesn't get out of hand, that it's easily proven or remedied. Um, so if you if you want to go off the reservation, you, you do so at your own risk. The cost of doing a divorce case can be staggering. Uh, are most people surprised that when they have all these issues they want to talk about and they want to fight about uh, will come with a price tag because of the hourly rates that lawyers charge? Absolutely. And what people sometimes have a hard time grasping is when you retain a lawyer in a domestic case, they're not selling you a product. They're not handling, a, a writing one document to give you. You're, you're paying them for their time. And every time you call them to, to bicker about a piece of furniture or an issue about not putting gas in the gas tank when they said they would or didn't fill their backpack with their homework, the only service I provide is my time. And those are billed at, yes, what most people consider an expensive rate. Um, so the more you're relying on your attorney to be either your confidant or your your, your mouthpiece, the more it's going to cost. And I always make sure that my clients are aware that if you want me to do this, it's going to you know I'm going to bill you for it. 
and I'll encourage them, if at all possible, to directly to try to work it out and then report the instead of having me do it at X dollars an hour. Well, again, uh, one of the old axioms in law is that where there's consent, there's no legal issue. So hopefully uh, people will be able to do that. Thinking about whether they need a divorce, anything they need to do beforehand? They need to make sure that if they are going to to go through the that they do it actually if they have children that they do it they do it to preserve the relationship as the the fa- as best a lot of people get caught up damage that can't be undone later on so I'll strongly encourage them to discuss it as much as possible at first as long as it's safe to do so and productive and it make court make a contested case if at all possible there are plenty of avenues to negotiate prior to rushing to court. Uh, Cleveland has the Collaborative Law Institute. They've got domestic mediators you can do with lawyers beforehand so that the only time you're in court is to report to the court that you have an agreement and you would like them to sign off on it. Well, you you mentioned collaborative. That sounds more like a mediation of of issues. Is is that essentially it in our, our last moment here. It does. It's a unique concept where you agree to retain a lawyer solely for the purpose of attempting to mediate your differences. And if you're successful, that lawyer sticks with you and goes to court with you. If you're not successful, you have agreed that that attorney will not be on your case anymore and you have to go elsewhere for counsel to take to court. So get, get opposing counsel and battle it out. Correct. Well, John McCarty, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's uh, been eye-opening, and, and we hope for all those families facing divorce and they have children that it uh, goes by uh, as reasonably as possible and with the interest of the children uh, in mind. So thank you for joining us. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. And thank you for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind